Poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Yo, what is happening, my friend, and welcome back to another episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. I'm your host, the founder of EnhanceYourEdge.com, Brad Wilson, and today I'm going to be speaking with Team Party Poker Online Pro and MTT Crusher, the dramatic DGen himself, Travis Derrick. Travis is yet another shining example of quote-unquote, making it in the modern poker world through hard work and a genuine love for the game. He grew up with a love for film and aspirations of making it in the entertainment business, but ultimately, that ended up not working out. The entertainment industry's loss was poker's gain when Travis learned about a little niche called streaming, where he could marry two of his loves at the same time, performing and playing cards. In Travis's relatively short poker career, he has already had one six-figure score with plenty more on the way. In our conversation, you're going to hear about the misery Travis went through working at Enterprise Rent-A-Car just a few short years back, how his family feels about him being a professional poker player, shocker of the year here, not everyone is ultra-supportive of a career playing cards, and how despite initial hardships and struggles, Travis has risen up with an amazing following and some massive tournament scores. So without any further ado, I bring to you my conversation with the dramatic DGen himself, Travis Derrick. Travis. Yes. I'm not going to call you dramatic DGen. That's fine. Call me what we are, D, 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 Travis, TJ, whatever works, yeah. man. Travis, this is more, this is a, a personal conversation. Gotcha. Mr. Deejin. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Mr. Deejin, tell me about, I, I always love hearing the journey through poker and ending up where you are today. Mm-hmm. You specifically, I want to, I want to start a few years ago. Okay. In, in the struggle. Tell me about the struggle, what was going through your mind, and what you know you had to do that that's led you <clears throat> to today. Yeah, uh, man, it's a, it's a long answer. Um, we got time. Yeah, that's what the greatness of podcasts, right? Yeah, I mean, my, my all my twenties has been pretty much a struggle. Uh, I started, I went to film school originally to study to be an actor. That was kind of always the the goal. Why'd you want to be an actor? Uh, I just loved film. Uh, film is, you know, besides my parents, film is kind of like the, the main thing that's kind of shaped who I am today. Uh, it's had a really big influence on my life. And honestly, even now, I probably love film more than I love poker. Why um, did it shape you so much? Like what, what were some early experiences in film? I don't have a ton of specific moments. Um, it, it, I just remember a lot as a kid, you watch a movie, uh, regardless of what genre it is. And there's usually something you can take out of it on how to live a better life. You know, whether it's corny, whether it's scary, whether it's depressing, whether it's happy, uh, there's generally 
some some level of, of morality involved that can have like a, a net positive on how you go about treating people. And it definitely, it definitely, I t- probably took it too seriously. I'm the type of guy that gets lost in all the characters and you know, when they cry, I cry. And when they get scared, I get scared. And, and in turn, you know, I finished watching the movie and I spend the next three days thinking about it and thinking about how I interact with people and how I go about living my life. And, um, yeah, once again, it turns into, into a positive influence. And because of that love, I wanted to be a part of film. And so I, I, I did one semester of business school more to just kind of keep my grandparents and my parents happy and, but realized that it didn't make me happy. And I quit and went to film school. How did that make, how did that make your, your family feel when you quit? My parents have always been really supportive. They, they didn't fight me at all on it. You know, they just want me to be happy at the end of the day. And they know that, or they've always believed that I've been one of the types of people to, you know, whatever I want to do, I can make a success out of it. So I was, I'm really, really unfortunate in that regard with my, with my grandfather, it was a bit, it was a bit tougher cause he's very old school. He's old fashioned. He grew up in a native reserve in a one bedroom house with nine brothers and sisters and, you know, didn't have a college education and didn't see his first car until he was like 17, came out of poverty, raised a family from 20 years old, you know, like, that kind of old fashioned grittiness made yeah. a success out of himself. So when he hears, I'm going to go to film school to be an actor, he kind of goes, you know, this is the dumbest choice you could have ever made. And, you know, we kind of had a rocky relationship for a few years, um, despite me very, being very, very close to all my family. So that was rough. And that was a learning experience in empathy for me. What about now is, yeah, I mean, it's, it's even worse. Everything. It's worse. Now well, our relationship, relationship is our relationship isn't worse. His understanding of my life choices is worse. So like from, you know, I was living in New Zealand uh, six months ago. And then when I planned to move back, my mom told me that my grandfather was trying to organize an intervention <clears throat> for when I get home and for what for my gambling addiction, you know, Oh brother. Yeah. And, uh, my mom put a, put her foot down and was like, that's not happening. I want to enjoy having my son back, you know? And so it never ended up happening. And my grandfather has been pretty good at just avoiding the conversation, but I can see it in his eyes that he really wants to confront me over it. So what I, what I do is I just try and be overall like positive with how my life is going and, and upfront and honest and only bring it up if he ever brings it up, you know? And so to play devil's advocate, uh-huh. uh, just just a little. Mm-hmm. While you know, a few years back, like you quit poker, right? Yeah, you, you couldn't, you didn't exercise great bankroll management, right? You, you, you the struggle was real. Mm-hmm. So, do you think that there is any merit in your grandfather having these fears for you? Of course, of course. I mean, there's there's merit in that when when you're talking about it with any poker player cause we all have our pitfalls, you know, my pitfall at the time was certainly bankroll management and certainly just financial literacy as a whole. You know, when I started playing full-time poker, I should have probably waited another six months and gotten you know, kept, kept a job and kept grinding it up a little bit more, but I just got impatient cause I hated my job so much. What was your bankroll when you, you went on your own? It wasn't a lot. It wasn't a lot. I, I would say it was probably around 10 K, you know, and then maybe I had an, an extra couple grand in the bank. And, a, you know, at the time I was living in Vancouver. So that's just not like a very sustainable budget. Very 
expensive city to live in. Very expensive city. Um, I was lucky in that my rent was pretty affordable, but the overall lifestyle there is, can get pretty expensive pretty quick, you know? And um, I, I, I don't think I really had a proper understanding of bankroll management besides the, dis, despite the fact that, you know, there was always those general rules of whatever, uh, 300, 500, 700 buy-ins. Why not? Um, I, I'm impatience. I think, I think I just wanted to, like, I got one big score, you know, I won a tournament for, I don't know, it was like eight or nine grand. And, um, I just went, well, I did it once. Why can't I do it again? So I kept playing, you know, hundred dollar buy-ins with a 10 K roll. And that's just, you know, a sure shot to, to failure. Plus it's your life role too. So you, you totally. also have the, you're also spending a lot of your winnings. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like that bankroll just is set aside and grows on its own. Exactly. And, and I also, at the time I was early in my Twitch career and I was doing really well with Twitch. So I just kind of expected things to just continue to improve and I would make more income off of that. And there was a lot of kind of naive expectation of, of success without actually, you know, putting any level of, of work in or, or you actually having any level of self-awareness to know what it takes to actually move forwards. And so, yeah. And, and the big one was just impatience. It was just like, I, I had always, you know, I've, I've been doing day jobs since I was, you know, 12 years old and I just always wanted to be my own boss. And I went, Oh my God, there's an opportunity to be my own boss. And I just got too excited too quick. You know, why did you name your, your YouTube uh, Twitch stream Degen? Like I get the I get the drama part actually sure. now. The the drama part makes sense. Why sure. why the degen? Uh just my 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 best friend Alex, who's also a pro poker player, he always called me a degen because I would do stupid shit like, you know, play a three twenty with a three K roll or, you know, make some stupid bet that I'm obviously, you know, like losing value in, you know, just and they were never degenerate in that I was like crazy above my means i wasn't borrowing money to you know bet on the super bowl or something but i was doing really stupid stuff with the money i had you know like for instance i always tell this on stream and people love this i uh this was before i started playing poker full-time my buddy was alex he was playing uh, a series in montreal and he was going by himself and he's like i'll let you stay in my hotel for free if you come but you have to figure out your own way there I literally had 600 bucks to my name. It was enough to pay rent for the next month. I asked my dad to borrow money to, for the plane ticket to Montreal one way. I didn't bother asking for a return ticket. And I took that 600 bucks and I went, all right, I'm going to play satellites and spin it up into a main event buy-in. And I got into the buy into the main event, punted my stack leading up to the bubble on day two and my buddy did too. And he left early and I had no place to stay and no money for a return plane ticket home. So I, I, my borrowed, I think I needed an extra like 50 bucks, borrowed 50 bucks from my, my parents and took a Greyhound back to Vancouver. Um, for those, for those who don't know the geography of it, Montreal is on the East coast of Canada and Vancouver is on the West coast of Canada. So it was, uh, it was this Greyhound 76 hours. Holy. <laughs> and I, I, I had to transfer to different buses like 12 times along the way. And, yeah. um, it was, it was awful. And, and the real kicker of it is, well, besides the fact that I couldn't pay rent the next month, I, I have no idea how I didn't get kicked out of my apartment. 
But um, the real kicker of it is I did the exact same thing the next year. Uh, what, what were the thoughts on that bus <laughs> traveling back home? Man, I honestly don't remember. I honestly, the, the, the feeling I remember is it wasn't a big deal. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was just like, I, I mean, obviously I was sad that I didn't get to get to cash. But besides that, I never, I don't remember thinking like you idiot. I what do you make of that? What do you make of that now? Honestly, what I make of it now is it's a damn good story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't even feel regretful or embarrassed about it. I think it was a, now it's a learning experience for me in, in discipline, um, with your cash for sure. Yeah. But overall, I, I kind of look at it, uh, with a smile on my face. I don't think it was, I mean, it was obviously a bad decision and it was a mistake, but you know, sometimes you just, you have to make stupid mistakes to have a good life. You know, um, sometimes the negative EV adventure outweighs sure. the financial EV aspect of it. Now where it can be really bad is if you do it without learning, you can constantly do it. Now, like I said, I did it the year after strictly, right. probably out of just desperation of wanting to like get out of the, hole I was in, you know, I was probably, I was still pretty poor at the time. What do you mean by you did it again the year after you took a Greyhound all the way across this time around? I took a Greyhound to Montreal and tried to satellite in, got in also busted day two. And then I barely had enough money to Greyhound back and I Greyhounded back. Oh my God. I was just like, I've done it before. I can do it again. Screw it. Let's just do it. You know? And, uh, I mean, this time around, I went in conscious, like consciously knowing it was stupid, but I didn't care. I was like, I, I wanted, I want to go. This would be a great success story if things work out. Yeah, let's just you, let's just do it. Do you think that has any effect or had any effect on the, that decision making process? Like your love for movies, right? Mm-hmm. And how the hero comes out on top. Mm-hmm. Like this is just how how it works, right? Yeah. Like, um, and 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 of course. In poker, there is this allure mm-hmm. and this possibility. Like mm-hmm. it does happen to people. Like it, you know. Um, do you think that played any part? Hundred percent. I mean, that's why I like MTT so much. Is I'm a glory chaser. You know, uh, prestige. I want I, I, prestige is probably a bit of a strong word. Like I don't care about the fame aspect of it, but I just want the glory. I want the glory, and MTTs are a perfect game for that. It's it's all about the glory of that number one spot. You know. And, and that's definitely, I can def, I, I don't remember it well, but I definitely remember thinking, you know, this is a great story. This could be a great story for me. And I mean, in hindsight, it still was a good story, just not the story in which I expected, you know? Right. Um, not, not the ending. Totally. Yeah. Now, would I do that ever again? 100% no, never, ever, ever again. It was painful. Those, those three day bus rides are awful. And, um, and obviously, like, once again, looking back, it's stupid. I would not recommend anybody ever do something like that. It's, it's, it's very much like a, a, a rounders thing. You know, Mike McDee, Mike McDermott going to Vegas to play the World Series with his last three stacks of society or whatever it is, high society. You know, it's probably a little, a little bit of that was going on in the back of my head. I mean, Mike McDee, he chipped up. He, he battled KGB exactly. with all his whole bankroll on the table in a self-dealt game. Yep. Like <laughs> Mike, Mike McDee, for, for somebody that, that is so disciplined with bankroll management, mm-hmm. is not, a, not, not such great decision. Speaking there. of glory chasers, right? 
yeah, speaking of glory chasers. Total glory chaser. He's a character in the movie, and yeah. obviously it resonated with people, right? Yeah, it resonated with me. That's how I got into poker in the first place was that movie. So, so, so this painful bus ride home, um, what happened next in your career? I mean, at that point, I just kind of was still trying to pursue acting and working crappy day jobs. And I was listening to a Joe Rogan podcast. And they were interviewing, he was interviewing a Twitch streamer and they started going through Twitch live on, on the podcast and they came across Jamie Staples uh, stream. And I went, Oh crap, there's poker streamers. I like poker. Let's try this out. And I got really hooked on it. Like it was all I watched for about two or three months was all the top poker streamers constantly. And I went, this is you. I went, this is me. I can do this. I can do this. This looks like a lot of fun. So I saved up for a crappy computer that was good enough to stream. I had like a $300 bankroll and I just went, okay, let's do this for fun on my off days. Uh, try and get a thousand followers in six months. That was the goal. Try and build up a bankroll. And the stream blew up. I got a big host from Kevin Martin. Uh, I'm like my second week streaming and things just kind of took off from there. I, I made a deep run in the Sunday million, which gave me a lot of hype and just started getting a few lucky scores to, to build the bankroll up even more and more. And within six months I had, I think 5,000 followers and decided to just take a, take a risk once again, chase a little more glory and uh, quit my day job. And I, w- I played p- full-time poker at that point for, I think about nine months before I went broke again. Um, and that was on that, the 10 K roll. I was on the 10 K roll. Yep. Yep. So around when I, when I got the 10 K role was also around the time that I decided to be a full-time poker player and poker streamer. Were you able to create any, any different revenue sources from streaming? Like what were the, the, the benefits to streaming at that time? But besides, you know, just yeah. influ- influence and glory. Sure. Um, I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of benefit. I think there was probably less benefit than I expected at the time. What was the expectation? I just expected my viewership to grow and then in turn my subscriber count to grow. And I realize now that poker in Twitch is probably, I would be, I would be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if Twitch poker has the least sub count out of almost all the genres because viewers don't, obviously they don't want to give money to a poker player. Like they're gambling for a living, right? Compared to a video game streamer, where, you know, they perhaps need the money a little bit more. So I was naive and I didn't grasp that. And I just kind of figured I would go from 100 subs to 500 to 1,000 in, in no time. And that, that didn't happen. So I didn't have a, a good secondary source of income. I, I, had, I was making enough income to, you know, pay the groceries basically. And, and then top that with bad bankroll management and, you know, wanting to go out and do the things that a 25-year-old wants to do. Naturally. Naturally. And, you know, that's, you know, things just plummeted fast. And I wasn't a good poker player either. You know, I wasn't putting the time into to try and improve. I just thought I was good enough and that was good enough. And if I did the occasional study session, that would keep me, keep my head above water. And, you know, I ended up paying for that. What do you make of that now? Like look, looking back, just <laughs> na- naivety? Um, I think it was ego. I've definitely got an ego got a pretty, pretty big ego <laughs> and naivety. There's that too. 
and um, laziness. I'm, I'm a pretty like undisciplined person and I'm still work trying to live a disciplined life, but it's very, very difficult for me because I've never truly understood what that means. Uh, I've never in my life. Can I tell, like I've had little moments where I've been well-disciplined and it's paid off, but I've, I've never been consistent with it. And like, I think a lot of people don't realize how much discipline is involved with being a a successful poker player, at least online. Uh, Perhaps, I mean, this is no knock at live players, but perhaps you don't have to study as much in a live setting as you do online. Um, Personally, I I just think that obviously the fields are tougher. Yeah. It's like a, there's such a, there's a trade-off, you know, live, you get 35 hands an hour. You get so, so many more, so much more volume online, mm-hmm. but yeah, the games are more complex. The games are tougher. Yeah. I mean, like you can, world. you can have a successful live career and like never look at PO solver ever, you know? I mean, obviously with live, they have their own, you, you have your own, um, hurdles to get over that perhaps don't happen in an online setting. But, um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot more to get, get away with. It's a lot more exploitative um, in nature. And, you know, there's a little bit of kind of throwing GTO out the, out the window. You don't, it's, it's not as important, you know. And those things are really important um, to have a really good grasp of both online. Um, I feel like there was something else within the subject that I wanted to bring up, but now I forget what it was. I totally, totally forgot what, what kind of path I was going down. I, I had an overarching forget? point. How could you forget? I know. It's not like there was a giant disruption right in the middle of your <laughs> thought, thought yeah, process. God damn. God damn. <laughs> I'm only 29. Um, you think I'd remember these things, but so me and Nick Howard talked about this yesterday and how like just the conceptually, I think GTO is misunderstood in a lot of ways mm-hmm. and behind like playing game theory, optimal poker is behind everything mm-hmm. it, really. Like it, it's a force behind every single decision that you make, but the exploitative aspect. And to me, exploitative poker doesn't even exist. And I just, this point is important to me because when I was coming up with training materials and thinking about GTO and really diving in deep, like exploitative poker is only using more data. It's applying more data to your thought process and decision-making than a baseline decision. Okay. Like, so it's still, it's still a part of GTO. So like, you know, if you have Kings pre and -hmm. you know, somebody has aces because of a number of data points and a number of factors, like if you put that into a SIM, where villain just has aces or kings, yeah, it's going to tell you to fold. However, right. if you don't put that in, it's never going to tell you to fold, right? Right. So, like, it's all a big part of the same the same process. Um, and I have no idea where I'm going with that. I just wanted to make the point that like poker is data driven, and don't and like for the people watching in the audience right now, like don't get locked into this like GTO is is king or, or your perception of GTO. By putting a, a random situation into a solver, it's spitting out a result and saying, oh, this is what I need to do. Because in almost every case, that's not what you need to do. Sure. Um, I, I guess my main argument is that when you are learning about poker, it's you're, I, th- I think it's going to be a lot longer of a journey or perhaps even harder of a journey to try and 
learn from an exploitative standpoint. Um, whereas GTO is such a great foundation for you to understand how you're supposed to play poker properly, that it's really easy to deviate once you also start learning about population tendencies. For baseline, for baseline, it, you know, I'm cool with baseline. Like I'm yeah. cool with hand, hand charts for baseline, right? Mm-hmm. But they're baseline. They're not sure. the gospel. Yeah. Like, so when you naturally progress, you start, you start seeing these things and, you know, you start asking yourself, should I deviate? Mm-hmm. Well, the, 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 the GTO told me not to, yeah. the sim, the sim that I put in and then, then you don't. Well, if and you're, like, if you're like, if you're of the, of the religion of GTO and you don't deviate, then you might as well consider yourself just as bad as the guys who never learned GTO in the first place. Honestly, like, like you said, like that baseline, I think, I think, in my opinion, you're perhaps even undervaluing the baseline. I think the baseline is insanely important because if you don't have that, you have, it would be hard for you to even understand or properly grasp how to exploit your opponents because you don't have a proper baseline. I mean, perhaps a live player could, could argue that because there's a lot of live players who have never studied GTO at all. Um, I think Brent Kinney said he's never open to solver. Right. Pretty, pretty there you recently. go. There you go. Yeah. But he, I mean, his, his life has been beyond swingy too at the same time, you know, it makes you oh, wonder sure. if, if maybe he had opened up a solver a, a few times, would his life be as swingy as it is, but that's the lifestyle he likes and, and it's worked out for him. The, the, the issue I have with, with like a story like bring Kenny's is that I don't think it's good for most people, you know, and there's probably a lot of people who want to play poker and live the lifestyle that Bryn Kinney has, you know, they want to follow and he, by his example. And I think a lot of people are just going to end up falling flat on their face and it's going to end up really, really bad. You know, not that Bryn Kinney has any responsibility to try and like, you know, be a better role model or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying, but I just think like, I guess overall, he's just a bad example. Honestly, it's social proof of a thing, right? Yeah. Like it's just, my the the question and it's not going to be answerable is is GTO the most efficient way to learn a baseline strategy? I think when you get to the heart of it, that's the question, yeah. and it's very hard to answer. Mm-hmm. Um, like, is there a more efficient path to learning a baseline strategy that leads you to the other things in a in a faster and more efficient way? Yeah, I mean, I, I to me, I think the answer is online, hundred percent, and I think live it's a little bit murkier because it's just not as necessary. Um, it's, it's almost more important to know how to, ex- how to <clears throat> exploit your opponent because that's where you're actually going to get max value is not necessarily from a GTO standpoint, but knowing your, your opponent's weaknesses and once again, exploiting them for it. Right. Right. Which is a form of GTO. Like when sure. you, when you get, okay. When you get sure. All, all the when you circle all the way, you know, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. It's a. Uh, I know it's murky, and yeah. I think I think yesterday I'll just borrow from Fedor Holtz, that who I talked to yesterday when he said, you know, there were ten of them, ten Germans, living together talking about poker, and you know he, he we talked about the concept of one plus one equals five, and how one of them goes and plays forty hours of poker. And then they talk about poker for an hour and that 40 hours is distilled into that one hour. Mm-hmm. So they all are playing 40 hours a week and they're all discussing it. So they're getting like 400 hours in experience every single week. And that, that allowed them to just, you know, those 10 guys were 10 of the top 100 players in the world. Yeah. And that, that, that just isn't a coincidence, right? Right. Like, 
you know, that, that was, that was their process. But anyway, I think in a live setting, like that's probably the best way to go about it. Mm-hmm. Find somebody that's also exactly like you have these discussions, share that wisdom and grow together. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, just from any, any poker standpoint, I mean, I, I went and did, um, what we call the stream house with three other streamers, all in Pav, Bolero and Iron Egyptian. And, uh, we lived together in New Zealand for six months and I probably grew more in those six months as a poker player than I ever have. And that's not to say that I didn't have a community of people that I talked to, you know, my best friend is a professional poker player and we talk about poker all the time, but there was something about being in proximity with other poker players every single day, day in and day out constantly, where almost, almost all we were ever talking about was poker that your growth without even noticing it just becomes exponential, you know? Yeah. You can't help but grow. You can't help it. So for anybody out there who's, who's trying to figure something out on, on how to grow with poker, like if you can get a couple of friends that you can spend a good amount of time with talking about it, you, you won't even realize how much you've grown until you look back, you know, a year later and realize, Holy crap. Like the, the, the growth was insane compared to when I was on my own. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and the, there's always these disclaimers, right? It's like with every mm-hmm. hack, there's a disclaimer. You have to like the people that you choose, choose the right people. Sure. I mean, it's, choose it's the wrong people. Totally. It, it can be detrimental. Like if you choose negative people that are always tearing things down, yep. that just love to argue that aren't, that, that don't love accepting input that mm-hmm. don't want to grow that, that, you know, if questioning things is fine, but getting entrenched in one side of an argument without listening to anything else is yeah. not good. And, yep. and that stunt, stunts growth. And that's just, it's detrimental to everybody. So find people who are open to learning, want to be a sponge. Mm-hmm. Those are the type of people, the people that are resistant, get out of here. Like just yep. can't and, have it. And if you can help it, try and be around people who you think are better than you in certain aspects of life too. They don't have to be an insane amount better than you. And they don't even necessarily have to be better than you in poker. But if they have some level of experience in some aspect of life that benefits you, it's, it's you end up soaking that in like a sponge, you know, like all my friends that I talk to on a regular basis, you know, some of them, I consider myself on the level from a skill perspective, but then in other aspects from maybe content creation or just health or, you know, self-awareness, et cetera. All of those things are really, really important to be a good poker player, you know? Um, Yeah, they go together. They do. Almost everybody has something to offer. If Mm -hmm. you're patient and willing to listen and willing to to dive deep, I I genuinely believe that. Yep, Um, definitely. So on your path, okay. Yes. We we went way off track. So you went broke. Right. You had to get a job. Mm-hmm. Now, let's let's start there. Sure. Go from there. So, I mean, I had been tiptoeing around the idea that I was probably going to have to get a job for about four or five months before it actually ended up happening. And it was more my ego. Once again, we keep talking about that. It was my ego that kind of stopped me from doing that um, just out of pure embarrassment. You know, having to face my audience, especially being a you know, public figure. I wasn't huge, but... I still had a community um, and having to tell them that I need to go get a day job. My ego couldn't handle that. And so I avoided it for a really long time. And if I had gotten a job when things were getting bad, I probably would have been able to continue streaming and playing poker at some level, but I didn't. And then finally it all kind of came to a head and I, I had to, I had to quit. I had to quit playing poker. I had to quit streaming poker. I did. I had enough money to pay rent uh, for a month. And, and that was it. So I had to, I had to put my foot down and it was 
one of the biggest learning experiences of my life and uh, perhaps even one of the most embarrassing experiences of my life. But I'm glad it happened, to be quite honest, because it made me realize how important uh, humility is, how important self-awareness is, how important it is to swallow your pride and just admit defeat. And defeat, I think a lot of people almost equate defeat to your life being over, you know? Uh, I certainly felt that way when um, I was thinking about whether or not I should quit. I, w- I was thinking, well, what do I do now? You know, and I was 27. <laughs> like, I still have another, hopefully, 70 or 80 years, you know? And and it, it was hard. There's no denying it was hard. I spent six months going back to a job that I hated, doing graveyard shifts as a security guard. Uh, with a manager who was who was awful. He's probably the worst boss I ever had. And, you know, I was very depressed and still What'd embarrassed. What did you hate about your boss? What did you hate about your boss? Well, he was, um, he, he liked to micromanage. So he had, he was an insomniac. He had a problem sleeping. And some, for some reason, he thought it would be okay to monitor the security cameras from his laptop. And so if he caught you doing something wrong at three o'clock in the morning, uh, he would call you and threaten to fire you if you didn't fix it. And it, it wouldn't be anything egregious, like you're not doing your job. It would be like, you missed that thing. There's a piece of garbage in the hallway in building B. Oh my God. How could you not have seen that when you were doing your route? If you do that again, we're going to have a problem, you know, stupid stuff like that. And never, ever, ever, did he say at any point, good job. That was, that was a good shift. Well done. It was always calling you out on your mistakes. And, um, it just ended up creating a horrible work environment, um, all across the board. Nobody liked him, And he was a problem for, uh, for the company, but because he was, you know, he had seniority, nobody really got rid of him. From an autonomous poker player perspective, I would say that's like the worst. That, the that's, worst. That, that's the worst situation from like totally free to not free at all. Totally. And then not only that, but I was doing graveyard shifts, which I don't like doing. And I, most of the time I was by myself. So I was lonely. I was just insanely lonely. And yeah. I had nobody to talk to, nobody to figure out, you know, how to, how to get through what, I, what it was that I was getting through. It was awful. It was awful, man. But it, it, it really made me, me learn a lot about, um, self-control. That's, that's huge. You know, I kind of kept telling myself, you know, if I ever got into the position where I could play full-time poker again, I would do it differently, you know, and I wouldn't let myself succumb to perhaps some of my more degen tendencies. You know, I'm, I, a lot of people are like, what's the most degen thing you've done recently? And, and these days I'm pretty boring. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Pretty boring. And, and yeah, that's, that's with intent. Like I would love to go and make hardcore gambles and go to the casino. And like, I I would love to get into sports betting and stuff, but I, I, I force myself to get, stay away from that because of basically what happened in those six months and how awful I felt. And I get, I get wanting to hear the stories, Mm -hmm. the the degen stories Mm -hmm. because they're, they're entertaining. Yep. But the reality behind most of those DJ stories, and I, I, it's it's a film I've seen over and over and over again, is pain and mm-hmm. suffering for yep. lots of people involved. So, fuck the DJ yeah. stuff. It's just it's suffering, it's pain, all wrapped up in itself. That makes for great stories. 
yep. but it doesn't lead to your personal happiness or, or the person that's experiencing it, which totally. is the the point, right? Yep. That this is the point. Um, I want to go back to you being vulnerable to your audience. Sure. What was the reception? What did the feedback look like when you made the YouTube post that you were quitting? It was actually overwhelmingly positive. A lot of people really appreciated how honest I was, um, which I honestly didn't expect. I hoped for it. I hoped that that people would at least go soft on me, but I really expected there to just be a lot of like, you loser, you know, a lot of people saying stuff like that and thinking I'm an idiot and all that kind of stuff. And, and there was a, a, a fair share of those types of people who just obviously they prey on your downfall and they celebrate in it. But majority of, of the community were incredibly positive about it. And it made me realize how much people appreciate vulnerability and transparency. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great spot to be mm-hmm. when you're vulnerable and transparent. Yep. Um, because it gives you the power to be you. Yeah. It gives you the power to tell your truth. Mm-hmm. And I've thought about the, the vulnerability aspect a lot just in, in life in general. And like when you're vulnerable and when you share these fears and these things that are happening to you, there's no longer anything for anybody to find out. You lose that fear of like, oh, they're going to figure me out. They're yeah. going to find out that I'm a fucking fraud. Totally. And I'm a failure and I didn't make it. Right. So like, you lose that fear. You empower yourself to be able to be you. Yep. And human beings can be so compassionate and so kind yep. to when, when they see somebody's pain and somebody's suffering mm-hmm. that, you know, I didn't know the answer to that question, but my feeling was that, you know, people, people want to pick people up when they're suffering, especially if they, they like you. And, and I would imagine if people are watching you all the time on Twitch, they most likely like you. Yeah. Most of the, something's most things wrong with them. To, no, totally. I mean, once again, I mean, I've had some, some nightmare stories of some people, you know, trying, trying to make my life miserable, but those are kind of the loud minority, you know, majority of people, especially in the Twitch poker setting, they just want to see you succeed. Right. Because that inspires them to succeed because poker is a really tough game and most people aren't succeeding at it. So when they see a streamer make a big win, it's almost a win for them. You know, it gives them a little bit of hope. So when they hear that the guy who's been successful has failed, it puts them on their level and and they feel for them. There's 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 some empathy there, you know, and I, I think and I didn't realize just how empathetic people could be towards the situation. And it was it was a really another learning experience for me that I continue to, to practice to this day, which is um, transparency to an extent. I mean, there's obviously still things that I don't talk about publicly just out of my own comfort, but generally when it comes to how I feel about my life, my progress, how things are going, things that are missing out that I'm missing out on or things that I want that I desire being honest with that to an audience is really, really attractive. And it's honestly in, in many ways therapeutic for myself so being able to express those things to an audience and have them respond in kind, there seems to be like this, you know, reciprocal therapy kind of going on, if that makes any sense. Oh, for sure. I mean, there's never any scene that happens in any movie where shit doesn't fall apart yeah. and affects people yep. and their life falls apart. And then, you know, this is a character arc for the hero every mm-hmm. time shit falls apart. There's problems you got to deal with. You got to pick yourself up. You, you, they hit 100%. rock bottom. Um, and from like a psychological perspective, you know, you can imagine a picture of a baby crying and imagine a picture of a man getting angry 
and think about which one do you have empathy for? Which one do you want to help, right? Mm -hmm. You want to help the vulnerable baby. This is like, so lots of people go about, um, they just go about things in in a way that where they want, they feel like they're protecting themselves. Totally. It's just, it's counterproductive. And this thought also just came to mind. There's, there's this thing that like, that I think of when being uh, vulnerable or transparent is that um, it's, it's hard for anybody to use that against you. You know, like you, you can't, you can't be hurt when, when you're not avoiding it, you're, you're facing it head on, you know? So not blaming uh, failure on externalities, even if maybe perhaps there were something on the outside that did influence your failure, regardless, just like taking full responsibility for it is massive. I, I think about this moment. I had a day job, where I was told to look after, I was supposed to told to stir something at a, at a restaurant. I was working in the back of a restaurant and I forgot to do it. And it ended up getting overcooked and it was ruined. And one of the cooks started screaming at me and I just went, look, I fucked up. I'm sorry. Like it's totally my, my responsibility. And I, I totally like betrayed your trust in me. And that was, that was dumb. I'm so sorry. And he instantly stopped screaming at me and was almost surprised that I, actually like took responsibility for it. And then he just went about his day and yeah, he, he, I found him wanting to talk to me more after that, you know, like he gained a level of respect for me, you know, and just, it, it was a busy night. Maybe I had forgotten about it cause I had so many other things to do and you know, it's not my fault, blah, 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 but they don't care. Just, just take, be a man or be an adult. You know, you could be a woman too. Just, Take responsibility, own up to, to whatever it is that's going on and it'll make you a better person and nobody can use that against you. Yeah. It's, it's the, the ending of eight mile. It's be rabbit. Totally. Uh, You know what? I think about that. I think about that when he's late to, to his work and his boss is like, what are you doing? He goes, I'm sorry. It won't happen again. Finally, finally he takes responsibility. I, I honestly, I think about that scene a lot. Once there we go. There's an example of like a movie that's formed me. It's not exactly a favorite movie of mine, but I do think about that moment where he keeps showing up late to work and saying, it's not my fault. And he finally goes, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was late. That was stupid. And the boss goes, Oh, okay. And, and like, yeah, the, the, the final scene, right. Where he talks about all the things, all his, like all the shit, all the shit where he's completely vulnerable. Yep. And then the dude's like, well, shit. Like he has yeah. nothing to say at that point, right? Yeah. Like, what do you do? How do you yep. combat that? Hundred percent. What is up, my loyal chasing poker greatness listener? Coach Brad here, and I just wanted to take a moment to ask you a simple question: How many times have you heard my guests and I speak passionately about the benefits of poker coaching? You get to expand your poker network, receive expert feedback you can rely on, and have your burning questions answered by a trusted mentor. Which brings me to the Poker Power Hour, a series of 100% free live one-hour poker webinars, masterclasses, and hand history breakdowns that kick off each and every Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The Poker Power Hour will be led by me, Coach Brad, as well as some of your favorite Chasing Poker Greatness guests. It will be your weekly guide for helping you plug your leaks, skyrocket your poker growth, expand your network of crushers, and inevitably win more money on the green felt. The Poker Power Hour is premium content and live only. There will be no free replays or view on demand and the content will eventually be released as paid training only. 
So head to EnhanceYourEdge.com, opt in to the Poker Power Hour, and get for free today what you'll have to pay for it later. Once again, to catch the Poker Power Hour every single week, head to EnhanceYourEdge.com and join the email newsletter. Now, back to the show. So you laid yourself bare, you're mm-hmm. vulnerable, you had this horrible job. Um, how much money did you save before you came back? What was the catalyst towards saying, let's fucking do this thing? Yeah, well, this is where when people ask, I, I kind of feel bad because they're hoping that I went, yeah, I worked hard and I saved up all this money and I just started going at it again. But really, I just got really lucky. So we were talking about this before the podcast about having connections. You know, I, One of my best friends still believed in me and the occasional Sunday, he would stake me for some mid-stakes and low-stakes MTTs stake me for a $20, $27 scoop event. And I took first place money for like 35 grand and I got to keep 40% of that. So I did have, okay. yeah. So I did have a few bucks saved up after that. Just like you know, what I think I had like four months rent saved or something like that. Well, no, I didn't. I didn't actually. Yeah. I think I just had like that 14 K plus a month's rent or something. And I went, okay, I'm going to go full time again. I'm I, now this was a, a big risk because we had seen what happened with my 10 K role, but I just kind of, I, I, I told myself I'm going to do it differently. So I started doing practicing really, really nitty bankroll management, sold a ton of action on state Kings and to friends and all that kind of stuff. I started, you know, doing coaching for micro stakes and low stakes players, like for like 25 bucks an hour, you know, doing that kind of thing, trying to get affiliate deals, just really started hustling and, and went back to full time and it worked out. Yeah, I, I wish I could tell you that it was a bit more grindy beforehand, but I just got lucky. I had a moment of luck, and I decided to try and take advantage of that luck. Once again, in hindsight, my impatience was in play because I hated my job even more than I did before. And perhaps it would have benefited me to work another four to six months to just make sure that I had the necessary finances. But this time around, I definitely approached it from a completely different perspective. You know, like I was playing the big 55 and only keeping 30% of myself, you know? And just really pounding it in my head that bankroll management is like way more important than even like studying, you know? And so guys, y'all that are listening right now, I I want this to come full circle, right? Because this is an experience you can learn from. Mm -hmm. You don't have to go through this. No, exactly. To learn from this man right here who went through it, right? Like this is the Fedor Holtz thing. You can absorb his experience, internalize it, self-reflect on your own ego, Mm -hmm. and then use it to move forward as a better person, like as a more complete poker player, as a poker player with a higher chance of success. Yeah. I just want to, just want to point that out. I'm I'm glad all these things that happened to me happened, but I wouldn't wish, wish it upon anybody who's trying to go along the same path that I'm going. You know, I would hope that they would, listen to what happened to me and completely like, you know, detour, go around whatever the, the, the dumb, dumb stuff that I ended up doing, you know, if you, it's receptivity, receptivity, like be, be receptive, patience, incredibly conservative bankroll management study and keep your job (laughs) until you have six months expenses in the bank account, not in your bank role in the bank account. Those are, those are things that I had to learn the hard way on a very, very rocky path. And I, and I got to say, like, I've really only been had it instilled in me over the last year, you know, and 
and it took me that long to figure it out. It took me basically three years of like success and failure and like huge, huge peaks and really low values. Um, and, and that doesn't need to happen. It doesn't. No, you have two options. You can be receptive or you can hit your own rock bottom. Totally. Which path is easier, which makes more sense. Yep. You know, the, the choice is y'all's. And the thing about hitting rock bottom too, is a lot of people don't recover from it, you know? Um, at least from a poker perspective, most people just quit and move on to something else, which there's merit to that because not everybody can be a poker player, but it doesn't have to happen. No, it's, it, it's not etched in stone that, it, that, that, that has to be your fate, right? Like you have power and control over it. Yep. But, uh, I think that looking at avenues like this and just, just hearing this story is like for anybody that's struggling like you were mm-hmm. should be so eye-opening to them like mm-hmm. you know it, it, it should resonate hit home like these are the best students the students of life that are teachable yeah they just you know there's no reason to make things hard on yourself right totally why, why, why suffer when you don't have to right and at, at the same time if there's anybody out there who is suffering it does get better but you need to make sure that you work towards making it better you know Um, there's definitely a good period of time where things were really awful for me and there, I had a woe is me mentality and it never got me anywhere good. And I know a fair amount of people that I've grown up with in life who blame the world for whatever's going wrong in their life. And it's never put them anywhere good ever, you know? So be self-aware and realize how you're feeling. Work really hard towards being self-aware and know that you can get out of it. You just have to be patient and keep chipping away at it. You're not going to be better tomorrow, but you can be better next year. You know? Yep. It's terrifying. It's, it's terrifying and empowering Mm -hmm. to know that you're a master of your own fate. hundred percent. Yeah. And you just have to accept that. Yep. Like, you know, it's a mindset issue. Yeah. That's the thing about poker, you know, is that like you make your own luck. You really do make your own luck. It's just about, it's just about how, so, uh, in my opinion, I think the most self-aware, the most successful, it's about understanding where you stand and where you need to be, you know? Yep. Okay. So we've covered the downswing. We've covered the bad. Yep. We let's get into the good team sure. party poker. How, mm-hmm. at what point does team party poker happen and how did that come about? Sure. So I'm, when did this happen? So I went back to playing full-time poker, uh, July of 2017 and come January of 2018, I'm on a pretty nasty downswing and I'm just trying to figure out what my next step is. Do I need to move down in stakes? Do I need to get a job? What's going on? Um, things are still fine. It's just, I, I, I had to make some hard decisions, right? Once again, learning from my mistakes, I wanted to make sure that I nipped it in the bud before it was too late. And the universe kind of responded. I get a call from Jeff Gross, who's a pretty big streamer on the platform. And he said, yeah, we're starting up a team at party poker and we want you to be a part of it. And I'm, I'm not religious, but I was like, Oh my God, thank God. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and you know, him and Jamie and, um, pads, Patrick Leonard and I talked a little bit and I figured this would be a great fit. They had some really big plans on changing their platform, how they go about marketing their site and also, you know, making big upgrades to their tournaments schedule, to their cash games, to their, um, to their software. Like they, they really wanted to be a competitor with stars and perhaps even be at the top of the mountain at some point or another, which I personally believe they will. And, um, I'd always been about wanting to, 
rep companies that I only believe in. I wanted to make sure that if I took sponsorships, I took it with a level of integrity. And there was just no way that I could say no to a, to a, a site like party poker on top of the fact that, you know, uh, I need to make a few extra bucks. So it just kind of all worked out harmoniously. It was really good timing. Can you, so it probably, it, it piques my curiosity. I don't know if you can talk about a contract, like what's the benefit of being a team party poker pro, right? Like the patch, what, what do you get? <clears throat> well, there's a few things in my opinion. I mean, obviously there's, there's the pay. I, I can't get into specifics on that. But you know, but you we, do get paid for like. Yeah, we well, like I mean, everybody's different, so I don't want to get too specific in case sure. one guy's making less or more, or whatever. You know, right? Transparency, um, man. Radical I, transparency. Yeah. Well, uh, that's I'm gonna have to be very opaque here, but um, so there's that. There is some level of, uh, you know, I'd always wanted to know what it would be like to be a sponsored pro. So just from my own standpoint, perhaps from a prestigious standpoint, I thought it'd just always be cool that I could put a party poker patch on, whether it be live or online and just say that like I'm a pro pro, you know? Uh, so there's that. But a, a big thing that I found really attractive was that this was going to be headed mostly by Jamie Staples and we were going to be very content creation oriented. So they were going to give us the resources to make YouTube content, Instagram content, improvements in our stream content and I'll work to together towards collaborating towards more success for all of us. So like it wasn't just going to be about promoting party poker. It was actually going to be about also promoting each other and trying to make each other more successful content creators. Um, One plus one equals five. Oh man is amazing. And, um, it's, it's been pretty damn great. There's been some bumps in the road. You know, Jamie has a lot on his plate and, and, uh, it's a lot of work. I'm, I, I'm actually amazed by how much, he's able to handle all that work, uh, managing all of this, but overall it's been a really positive experience learning about, um, the science behind content creation. There's, there's, there's a method to it. That's actually has a pretty big learning curve and, uh, it's, it's interesting. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I won't get into it, but I could, it, yeah. it's a lot more in depth than most people consider until they, they, do it themselves. Yeah, um, totally. Most people, I mean, even me, you just, you watch a YouTube video and you don't really think much about what's actually being done behind the scenes. And there's a lot, there's a lot to it. Yeah. It's how crazy. many, how many how to YouTube videos do you have to watch on graphic creation totally. and Adobe premiere pro video editing yep. and thumbnails and meta tags. And yep. yeah, just, this is all very boring to all of you that are listening right now, Yeah, but it's just, 50 skills that you have, you, you have to learn if this is what you're going to do. At so least at the beginning anyway. I mean, you, you do want to get, I mean, this is why party poker. Another reason why I signed it is because we outsource a lot of that. So it oh, saves, sure. it saves me having to deal with that hassle and I can focus solely on being a good streamer and a good poker player, you know, but yeah. for those guys starting out, I mean, you, how long have you been doing this? You've been doing this for a while, but I, I was looking like you really started ramping it up the last, what, six months. It looks like. Um, yes. I imagine a lot of that is you, you have to do on your own, right? No, no. <laughs> uh, I, I had, uh, so Twitch streaming content creation for me, the, the very first piece of content that I created was just kind of random. Yeah. Um, just a random thing that I made and then I uploaded and then just forgot about it. Right. It was just yep. a fun, fun little thing that happened. I got positive reception. Things were going well. I was building my website, um, got involved with run at once 
uh, signed a non-compete, which basically put me out of action for 18 months. Right. Um, and then after that, it was, I'm, I'm not somebody that like streaming takes a lot out of me. I'm not mm-hmm. going to lie. Like I need, I need some external motivation to get myself pumped up, to get in front of the camera and talk to people. It's a lot of energy because I, because I get, I get totally wiped out. So for yeah. me, having a business model behind the things that I was going to create was paramount. So once I had that business model and I realized, okay, let's create, let, you know, I'm creating content for a purpose. That was the driver to invest myself into creating a bunch of content. Right. Um, so having the business model in place, not, it it wasn't just doing something to do something. I needed a plan, a plan of action, but, um, that's really smart, man. I mean, like a lot of people, I think when they start doing content creation, they don't even consider any of that stuff. There, there's a certain level of you perhaps do have to start off going into it blindly and just have fun with it. But it, it would benefit everyone when they start making content creation to think about it the same way that you think about it. Having a structure. Well, yeah. I mean, you got it, right? Yeah. Else you find yourself with 50,000 subscribers and you don't have no way to monetize and you're, you're lost. Mm-hmm. Um, and if the goal is see, like this is the, there's this misconception, right? That, that things are only about greed, yeah. but my goal, I would love to spend the rest of my life creating content. Sure. I would love it. That, that would be a joy for me. That would be a win, but I have to eat. Yeah. I have to make money. Of Money's course. the gas. Money's the gas that drives all the content creation. It's what allows us to create the content in the first place. Yeah. So, you you know, it's it's necessary to think about this stuff. Else, you wind up not having any streams of revenue. Yeah. Being being resentful and being frustrated. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that that's sort of my journey back into content creation. Like I, I wanted it to be top of the funnel thing that makes sense. Sure. Um, no, I totally understand that. I mean, I'm, I'm in the exact same boat. I love content creation and I really enjoy it. I, I love the community it's created, the connections I've gotten, you know, the relationships I've developed. I wouldn't have had if it wasn't for being a Twitch streamer. But at the same time, like I got to, I got to pay the bills. And despite, I, I mean, I do with, with poker, but you lose some EV being a content creator and, and taking away some of your focus from poker to do it. And you know, it would be nice to perhaps be compensated for a little bit of that loss in EV. It doesn't need to be like a full one by one comparison, but I need, you know, I would like to be paid for my time. It takes a lot of work. People don't realize how much work it takes to make this stuff and how much energy it takes and focus it takes. And, you know, why wouldn't you want to be compensated for some of that time? Of course. And and when you have, when you have life taken care of through alternate revenue streams, yeah. It's so much better for the stream. It's so much better for everything. Your mindset's better. Yep. Like everybody benefits. Yeah. So it's very freeing. Uh, it, yeah. Very, very, very freeing. Yep. Um, so let's, so, you know, your, your team party poker, let's yep. talk about this week. This has been a week for you, right? Yeah. This has been an, an okay week. Let's talk about, this you know week. what? It's been a crazy year to be quite honest. So, I mean, I'm going to go back even just a little bit before we get to this week, but I won a $55 phase one power fest back in April for, uh, I think it was 75 K I had 85% of myself in that. So it was pretty freaking awesome. I was life-changing money for me. That was, that was the real win. And then in August, in the span of a week, I want, I finished, I got two second place finishes in, um, KO series tournaments on party poker for, I think it was a total of 60 grand. And majority share of myself in those as well, which is pretty amazing. And 
both of those were really the real life changers for me because I never had to worry about the bills. Those were like the first moments in my life where I wasn't like, all right, am I going to be able to cover rent in six months time? And that was massive. So then this weekend comes along. I went a $22 satellite into the 215 million one mil guaranteed on party poker. And I make it to day two with about 27 big blinds, but here's the real kicker. I'm in Vancouver at the time and had to fly home. I live on Vancouver Island, had to fly home the day of the, of the day two. And there was hard weather conditions. So we ended up running super late. I got home about three hours later than I had attended or I had scheduled and day two had already been playing for about an hour by the time I got home. So I'd been blinded down to seven big blinds, blinded down to seven big blinds and somehow miraculously managed to run it up and make it all the way to a third place finish for 106 grand, um, which is my biggest score ever. And pretty much for the most part, life-changing money for me. And uh, yeah, it's been a weird week. Like I still can't really comprehend exactly what's going on, but uh, you know, through all that rockiness, we've, we've managed to hit a pretty, pretty damn bright light. (laughs) What's your, what's your mom and dad saying? Like, what's the, what's the pulse pulse of the family right now? I mean, they're doing the mom and dad thing and going invest in this and buy a property and you know, like all that stuff. There's a little bit less of like, this is so crazy and a little bit more of put your money away, be safe with it, you know, doing the parent thing, but they're all very, very proud and everyone's very excited. And, um, you know, I, it's, it's a very weird thing to me. Like I don't, it was great at the time when I won it. I was like, Holy crap, this is a, a huge relief. I know it's a big moment in my life, but at the same time I wasn't elated like I expected to. And, and I say this a lot on my stream, it's actually more exciting in the lead up to the win than the actual win itself, because there's this thing about the unknown. You don't know if you're going to be able to win that flip or that bluff is actually going to work all that type of stuff. You don't know how deep you're going to go. And then it happens and it goes, okay, this is what I wanted. Cool. And there's a moment of relief and a slight dopamine dump. And then life goes on, you know? Yeah. I woke it's, up the next uh, morning feeling the same as I did, you know, all the mornings beforehand. It's, it's biological. I think we're, you know, we're wired to be more excited about the prospect of Christmas than we are the gifts that we receive. Totally. Unwrapping the gifts is so much more satisfying yeah. than actually what, what you get, right? It's, 100%. It, it's the lead up to the thing. That's um, exactly how I felt. Because I interviewed Fedor yesterday, I, I watched a bunch of his interviews and he talked about, and this is very poker specific yep. that when in the beginning, you know, the magic of these big scores, the, the feeling that you get this euphoria, yep. um, we are trained to minimize our emotions and not have an emotional response to busting out of a tournament. We're, sure. we're trained to, when we bust, reg for another one. When we win, reg for another one, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the way that he put it that I think is just pretty much on the nose is, is that that can take some of the magic out of the game. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it's, it's a weird place to be in to want to minimize your emotions and yet wonder where are they? <laughs> like yeah. in this, these giant moments that sure. are, are so euphoric, right? Yeah. Um, 
I, I think that just comes with the territory of being a poker player though. Yeah. And you know, th- th- there's also that, that time old saying that like losing feels worse than winning feels great, you know? And that seems to be another biological thing. It's the same thing as like, you know, you can get a million messages of people saying, congratulations, you're awesome. So proud of you. So happy for you. And then you get one person saying you're a total piece of garbage. I hope you die in hell. And you spend the rest of the day thinking about that one guy. Yeah. You know, due to that guy. Why, yeah. why does he hate me so much? What is How do it I get ab- to like him? Totally. How do I get him to like me? Yeah. What is it about our biology that, that focuses so much on, you know, the negative than the positive? Um, survival. Yeah. Probably. Probably. Survival. Like, you you know we used to get eaten by tigers yeah so we had to notice differences yeah um and it just you know our, our brains just aren't made for modern day and yeah but betray us in a lot of ways that's probably what it is that's probably what it is now that doesn't mean that i i don't feel great about the win i i'm i'm, I'm aware of how amazing it is but my my lifestyle hasn't changed it just means that um you know i'll, I'll i'm now i'm setting a, up a foundation to continue my success regardless of how well or poor poker goes in, in the near future. So yeah, you're, you're just leasing the Lambo, right? <laughs> yeah. Leasing the Lambo, <laughs> man. I, you know, you know, it's crazy. I actually haven't owned a car in like seven years. Transit system's so good in Vancouver. I'm going to keep it that way for the, for nice. the time being. Yeah. I'm just right. like upgrading my apartment a little bit. Um, I mean, as far as character arcs go, it, it seems like in your journey, you've learned a lot. You've grown as a human being you're positioning yourself to be successful mm-hmm. moving forward in the game of poker. Let's move to the lightning round a bit. Sure. I, uh, I'm very afraid of the internet going out again. Okay. One thing. Um, what is your process for daily study and daily growth look like today? I mean, I'm a pretty disorganized person. I always have been. So there's not a whole lot of structure. It's very much. Why, why do you think you're disorganized? Like to be honest, like, organization, just the idea of it always bored me. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe I, I met a few too many people in my life who were organized and I considered them boring. Uh, I, I, I don't really know. Uh, there's a, perhaps there's a, a certain level of attraction to chaos that I like. And I, I kind of stand somewhere a little bit in between because I've definitely been friends with, with people who are chaotic that I had to drop. And then I've kind of forced myself to not force myself, but gone out of my way to perhaps can maintain relationships with the people who perhaps live a little bit more of a bland lifestyle, but without the, the awful pitfalls of, of the chaotic, I don't know. Chaotic good is probably the wrong word, but, uh, D and D. I would say this for somebody like, like Jamie Staples, for instance. Yeah. I would assume he probably doesn't live a bland lifestyle, mm-hmm. but he's probably extremely organized. Yes. I think, I think you probably have to be to, yes. to accomplish the amount, just to get in a day done the number of things that mm-hmm. he needs to get done. He's probably very, very extremely organized. I would imagine so. Um, I have no desire to, to be at Jamie's level from, from a streaming perspective. Maybe, maybe I do, but, and and I think there's a little bit of, of the chaos of poker that's been so attractive to me to, to that side. And that's probably why I am a poker player. Um, whereas I know that there are a lot of poker players out there who just do it because they're big nerds and they, they like the number crunching and the math behind it and all that kind of thing. And, and for me, like there's a part of me that kind of enjoys the swings despite me saying how depressing it is. And there's something about 
a downswing and being able to manage it in a mature way and embrace those swings and fight through it and just, you know, bite down on your mouthpiece and just fucking fight through it that I really love. And, um, I, I don't know if I'll ever be able to be fully organized and structured because I think that would honestly be leaving a piece of me on the table that I perhaps wrongly enjoy. It's, it's you. Yeah. It's, it's your spirit. It's your awareness. How, how can it be wrong? If totally. It feels right. Right to you. Totally. Now that being said, I definitely need to work on it more. Um, I think it's really important that, uh, you're putting in a consistent level of studying and um, learning what it means to be uh, efficient in those studies. I always used to think that like you hear a lot of people saying, you know, for every three hours you play, you should study one or whatever. Some people are different, but I don't think that's as necessary. I think it's how you go about doing it effectively and efficiently is, is way more important. So you could for every four or five hours that you play study one, if you're doing it in the right way, getting a coach, a really good quality coach using the right training sites, using PO solver, Holden resources, calculator, you know, having a group of people around you who are skilled enough at the game or have a, a decent level of proficiency so that, uh, you know, you can even learn by osmosis in a way I think is really, really important. There's a lot of people who studied not having any idea what they're looking at and it takes twice as much time. It's just not effective. There's a lot of people who study way too much and still never find success at poker. hundred percent, which is a, a point that I don't hear a lot of people making. Yeah. Um, Hence, theoretical, theoretical monster. When they try to put it in practice, it just falls apart. Yeah. Struggle. Yeah. And that in um, itself is inefficient, right? So like, what's the point? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you could gift all poker players, one book to read, yeah. what would it be? Ooh, that's a good one. I don't read a ton, but one book that I did read this year, and it's not a poker book, is um, even better. Yeah, it's called "Can't Hurt Me" by David Goggins. It's a, it's an autobiography and also self help at the same time. It's about a man who uh, is a Navy SEAL, but he came from a childhood of poverty and abuse, and grew up thinking very little of himself and didn't really amount to much in life. He was living a pretty shitty life, very similar to the lifestyle that I had, just some crappy day job kind of going through the motions. He was like 300 pounds and he saw a Navy SEAL program on Discovery Channel one day and decided that's what he wanted to do. And uh, the training was coming up in three months and he needed to meet the work, the weight requirements and he needed to drop 100 pounds in three months. He did it through just pure grit and mental toughness and started on this crazy long journey of being a Navy SEAL. He had to try out three times before he actually made it. And then he decided to start doing Ironman competitions and, uh, you know, try and break world records at things like most chin-ups in a day. And a lot of it was less to do with him being skilled at any of those, these things. He wasn't, it was just about his, his big thing is callousing the mind being, being mentally tough and just once again, fucking biting down on that mouthpiece and just going into it head on regardless of your self doubt, regardless of your skill, regardless of your laziness, just fucking doing it, you know? 
Um, grit. It's grit. 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 Angela, Angela Duckworth, TED Talk. Watch it, you know, for those of you watching right now, watch it on grit and grit. how she figured out that grit is the number one indicator of success in people's lives. How gritty, how much perseverance do you yep. have? How, how many times will you get up when the world pushes you, pushes you down? Yep. And um, I, I've been, uh, a number of people have s- talked about David Goggins to me yeah. and suggested that I, I immerse myself in his stuff. And I, I have not yet. Yeah. Um, but he's, he's a crazy, crazy sure. individual. Like he, he takes it to an extreme that is, in my opinion, highly unnecessary, but it's how he operates. And if any of us could be even half the man he is from like even a grittiness perspective, we would all become very successful people. Um, I I think there's this misnomer about fear mm -hmm. and uncomfortability. Mm -hmm. Like, like whenever you, you break through this barrier, this fear barrier to uncomfortability, that's where you experience growth. Yep when you're comfortable, you're, you're not going to grow. Totally. Just not, it's just not going to happen. Right. Um, yep. a, a good friend of mine, Adam Creek, we talked about that and he went to one of his buddies, they were rowing in the Olympics and he was the fastest rower in Canada for a long time. And his, one of his teammates started beating him and he couldn't figure out why. So they sit down, they have this face to face meeting and he finally just like, allows himself to be vulnerable mm-hmm. and ask him, how do you train? What are you doing differently? And the guy said, here's what I do. On Monday, I push myself until my body breaks. Oh, I, go, I, go, I go beyond the limit. Every single day of the week after that, I hover right below that point. Every Monday, I find my limit. And like, it's such a genius way to grow yeah. when you find your limit. Like I was punching the heavy bag and doing, you know, four rounds, five rounds. I listened to that Ted talk. I went to the gym and I said, I'm going to, fu- I'm going to fucking do this today until my body breaks. I did nine rounds and like my knuckle starts bleeding a- and I realize I'm selling myself short. Yeah, we all do. This, this was my capability. Totally. Why am I, why am I stopping at five? So like figuring out that limit on a regular basis, that, that's, that's the way, that's how you become, you know, a, a superhero, a, yeah. a badass. hundred percent. And, and, and with that also comes learning self-awareness as well. It's been a big theme in my life the last few years, especially since going broke is how self-aware am I really? And I think some people argue that that's something that is just naturally a part of you. I definitely believe that it's something that you can learn because I've learned it myself. I think about how I act, how I acted with people when I was 20 and how little I was paying attention to the way that they were responding to how I was acting and how I act with people now. And it's a complete night and day. And that's all my own doing that has nothing to do with like some natural progression. That's me understanding who I am and the way I act and how I go about improving the way I treat people. And then of course, treating my own life, you need to work towards what are your pitfalls and what are your strengths and, and take notice of where those are coming into play in your day-to-day life. And that will give you that level of grit that you're looking for being self-aware. Isn't it coincidental that when you were younger, you know, you didn't treat people super well compared mm-hmm. to now. Yeah. And at the, on the same token, you also treated yourself a lot worse totally. than you treat yourself now as well. Yep. It's, Definitely. Uh, 
not not a coincidence. Yeah. This is um, and just a lot of times your brain lies to you. I will say that as human beings, especially when you're in the gym and you're pushing yourself, your brain's going to tell you you can't do one more. You yeah. can't do one more set. You can't do one more rep. You can't do one more round. Tell him to shut the fuck up. Yep. Or or her yep. because it's lying to you. Like you you can do more. And like I, I genuinely believe that people ought to push themselves. Um, there's find, something about yeah, being in a the limit. There's something about being an adult too, where you've set a lot of limitations. I think we can all remember moments where we were 13 years old. I can think of moments where I was like 13 and I'm doing a big run in gym class. And I just keep telling myself like, you're capable of being the best in the class, you know, and I end up finishing top three. Whereas, you know, I go do that in the gym and I go, I can't do, I can't do 10 reps. And I end up right. doing eight, you know, when you probably could, there's this weird thing about being a grown up where we, we start to set our own self limitations, perhaps too self-conscious about those things, you know, or um, it could be from a place of protection, you know, sure. like th- think about your grandpa, right? Yep. I would say that your grandpa in his way is protecting you. He's totally. trying, he's trying to protect you, yep. but he also is trying to limit you as well. Yeah. Which, well, look, I'm, I, I forgot to mention this about my grandfather is that, I don't resent him for it even slightly. I did in my early twenties. Um, but as I become more self-aware and trying to practice being empathetic more and more with people, I realize that he's just a product of his environment, you know? Um, we all are. Yeah. Most people who don't understand poker are just products of their environment. You know, my grandfather came from poverty. He, had to really grind his way to become a successful person. He had to deal with a lot of racism. He's first nations. He, he had nothing. What, is, what does that mean? First, first nation. So like, uh, you know, I'm not Nat- Canadian, I, I'm native American, native Canadian, like Indian, whatever you want to. Yeah. Gotcha. So he grew up on a, on a first nations reserve with no money, very little education. Uh, you know, like I said, he like, he didn't even know what a car looked like until he was like 16 you know, that, like that level of poverty and, and he had to grind his way through the muck for many, many years before he became a respected member of his community and a, and a successful person. And to not, obviously when you come from that kind of a place, you have a hard time understanding that like you can make a good income slinging dick jokes on the internet and playing cards, you know? I understand that that's a very different world than the world that he's ever seen or understood. So I don't hold it against them and I still love them all the same. Um, and I know that, you know, we'll probably spend the rest of our lives not being able to make amends with that, but we can still appreciate each other in other ways. And, and I think that's, that's really important once again, for people to just be empathetic. Yeah. You, you don't have to agree. Yeah. You never have to, all of your thoughts, actions, opinions doesn't have to perfectly align with everybody else. Yeah. And you can still love one another and treat one another with respect. It's very possible and doable. Especially if their intent comes from a good place, you know? His, I know his intent always comes from a good place. He just wants to see me do well. Yeah, he doesn't want you to, he doesn't want to see you, see you fail and lose everything. Totally. And, and yep. he wants to help you avoid pain and suffering. Yep. Um, yep. Okay. If you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about poker... What would ooh, it be? Ooh. Uh, I mean, legalize it in the States. <laughs> is, is that, is that a, a good one? Cause uh, I see, I see the industry struggling now more than ever, which is a shame because 
I don't think like a lot of people think that poker is going to be solved really soon. I don't think it will. And even if it does, there's still a lot of opportunity in the, in the live setting. But I think like online poker can thrive if solved if, by like a, a robot. Yeah. Is that what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I don't think that's the case. I, I, and I think that we could have like another, not quite the moneymaker boom, but another boom if they could just legalize it properly in the States. It's, it's unfortunate that corruption has really dictated the health of this ecosystem. And uh, hopefully that changes. This is why also I'm so excited about party poker is they're, they're actually trying to make changes within a struggling ecosystem that perhaps might actually affect their bottom line in the short term, but could have a really net positive in the long term. So, um, but yeah, I mean the, the long answer short is legalized poker in America. God, please. <laughs> For sure. I, yeah. I remember the days. Yeah. Um, I don't know. So I don't know the numbers, like the market cap and the overall market. Like it seems like there's a lot of, uh, maybe it's not all on part poker stars, party poker and full tilt anymore, but there's just, there's a, there's a ton of platforms, um, mm-hmm. a lot of options. It's, it's, it's diffused, right. Mm-hmm. From, from the way that it used to be. I'm, I'm not convinced that there's less people playing or there's less desire for people to play. I, I think there are some common narratives that I hate. I hate the fuck the pro narrative. This yep. is the, this is probably the number one narrative that I hate nowadays because it, it's just destructive quite yeah. frankly it's destructive because people play for the dream of becoming pro yep if you're grinding on you know whatever platform you're on and the head of that platform says fuck the pros what what are you playing for yeah what's your goal they they kill the dream secondly poker without the pros would not be what it is today yeah p- period it's made on the stars. The, the market has grown yep. because of the pros. And, and I'm not saying roll out the red carpet for them. I'm just saying that they're an integral, important piece of the ecosystem. Of course. That also matter and should be invested in. And like, you know, it's just, and obviously the hobbyists, the amateurs, the recreational players, they're, they're obviously a piece of it as well. Mm-hmm. But like they all need to work together in harmony. It seems like party poker is doing a really good job of, of celebrating the pros yeah. um, in that way. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm 100% in agreement with you. Uh, it's this weird, I don't know if it was a campaign that, that stars seem to have where the pros were the reason why the ecosystem is suffering. And it, the, the reason why it suffers is because you create games that um, can't be beat and you don't, you know, generally when there were games that were tough to beat, they had the rakeback system, right? For the, all the guys who are good enough to break even at the game and they make money off of the rakeback. And then they decided to get rid of that in the name of short-term gain and not understanding that in the long term you're actually hurting your business and now they're paying for it. I mean, look at all these guarantees that have completely lowered. They've, they've gotten rid of heads up cash. They've gotten rid of all these games that otherwise had incredibly thriving ecosystems. And maybe they still would have been smaller now, regardless, because they, they get more and more, you know, quote unquote solved, but they still would have been around and they still would have been a 
reliable source of, of revenue for, for the company, you know, and, and it's all in the name of making sure your quarterly profit goes up and it's pure panic. And it's really unfortunate that they were all so short-sighted, not understanding that, you know, the rest of the world is still interested in playing poker. Poker is still an interesting game to play. Well, I would say party poker absorbed a lot of the market share from from all those decisions. And, and it's just it's just a low integrity move to put your players in a position to incentivize them in a certain way through a process, a yeah. system, processes and systems you created. Yeah. And blame the players. Yeah for participating in that system and process. Like look in the fucking mirror, yeah. own up and say, okay, let's improve this process. Let's speak with the players. Let's create a better system yeah. that allows everybody to be successful and everybody to step closer to their goals. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not rocket science, but mm-hmm. when you say you, you, you single out one group of people and you point the blame at them, yeah, get the fuck out of here. Like, yeah, you need to, you, regardless of who they are, they're still a customer and you need, you need to reward all of them for their place within the market, right? They're all valuable, perhaps some more valuable than others. But the fact that you want to go out of your way to ignore one whole subset of your market, just because you think maybe there's a chance you can get a better quarterly profit based off of the other subset of the market is just really to me and i'm not a business person a business oriented person at all but to me it just seems really foolish really short-sighted and really naive and it to me i i think of a cartoon of somebody just seeing dollar signs in their eyes not looking at anything else you know use some fucking binoculars you know and and that's i i, I hate to sound like a seller but that's why i'm i'm so happy to work for party poker because i feel like you know from the short term, it might not look like what they're doing is the like all that great for their business, but it will be good for their business in the long term if they keep pushing these ideas and taking these risks. I think I think what they're doing is fantastic, and it's what we've all been wanting over the last few years within the within the industry. It, it you know it's such a the word sellout right it has a super negative connotation, yeah. and I. I ascribe a sellout to somebody that changes their integrity, their core values in order to make money. There's, there's nothing wrong with representing a company that you believe in. Yeah. That that shares your values and representing them. Like, yeah, like who out there that calls somebody a sellout is going to be like, Oh, your dream company you want to be involved in wants to pay you money to represent them. Yeah. Duh, this is like no brainer of the fucking year, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's funny. Like when you were going to talk about it, I was going to say the exact same thing. Like a seller is someone who sacrifices their integrity in the name of a paycheck. And I'll never do that. Um, and if party poker was to ever like take a 180 and start going down the path of poker stars, then I would leave. But um, I'm doing it because I think I can be a part of some good change within the industry. Um, even if it is just a really, really tiny part. And I think they're going to be a big player moving forward. So and, and why I, not? I do want to preface this because I, I don't want to make make it seem like I'm characterizing certain people or whoever as a villain or a bad person. I do realize that when you're in the bubble of like a poker stars or wherever, and these changes are being implemented, like cognitive dissonance is a thing and you can justify it in your mind to make sense, even though 
it doesn't actually make sense. Right. And there's also corporate culture too. Right. I mean, they probably, a lot of them within the company think that what they're doing are the right things, not really understanding like, or hearing what everyone on the outside is saying. I I 100% believe that they think they're doing the right thing. Sure. I I don't think that's, that's debatable, right? Whether it comes from a place of value, who they are really on the inside or a place of cognitive dissonance where they're or survival survival even they're changing a narrative to basically fit with the company's narrative their own internal narrative like i think it's all a a mental game thing Mm -hmm. but uh yeah anyway that's my that's my tangent um (laughs) obviously i'm pretty passionate about this yeah Um, we all are that's good it's good to hear good yeah um so you get the chance to erect a billboard every poker player's got a got a pass on their way to the felt okay what what does it say Oh boy. Like, uh, what, in what context, like a, a billboard for what? Anything. <laughs> oh, you, I mean, you, you could, whatever you could put whatever you want on it. Pro- promoting me basically. <laughs> Just a piece of wisdom. Typically like something that a reminder, a daily reminder, man, I've never been asking, asked this question before. I don't even know. Uh, geez, that's really, really good. Really, really good question. I mean, I don't, I don't have any, you know, proverb or, or, or saying, I, I think, and we've talked about this a lot and it's a big theme of my life, but something to do with practicing self-awareness, I think is one of the most underrated and incredibly important things that anybody can do for themselves. Um, no matter what aspect of life that they're in. Uh, I think there's a lot of people out there who really don't understand the way that they portray themselves in day-to-day life and in the world. And I think we'd all benefit greatly from being more self-reflective and less blameful of the things around us. What's the first step? There's somebody that's thinking right now, yes, I want to be more self-aware. What do I do? That's another good question. It, it, it just comes down to, I, honestly, I think the number one step is to stop blaming anyone but yourself. Once again, maybe there's certain things in your environment that are hindering you from succeeding in whatever it is you want to do well in. And I can understand that, especially people like, like I said, who are in poverty, that's a tough situation to get out of without a doubt. But there's always things going on in your life that you would benefit moving forward from by just taking responsibility. So that I would say is probably the best first step towards being self-aware is just taking responsibility and forgetting about whatever outside factor that might be stopping you from moving forward. Love it, man. What's your current big goal as related to poker? Yeah, I've never been goal oriented with poker. I've just always wanted to be better than who I was the week before. And I think I'll continue doing that moving forward. I'd like to play some more live stops perhaps move up in stakes, but I'm still very much a student of the game. I very feel very comfortable with majority of the stakes that I'm playing. So I just have a lot of room to grow and I just want to continue learning and being, knowing that I'm good enough to beat the higher and higher stakes. So just doing that, chipping away at it day by day. What's a project you're working on that's near and dear to your heart? My stream uh, and my YouTube channel. I was very lazy the last few years with the content creation side of things, I just, I very naively just kept thinking if I put the volume in, then the success will come. And I'm realizing that's not the case. You need to play the game. So you need to make 
content outside of your main platform, you need to be active on social media and you need to provide some level of, of narrative across all those platforms that will make you attractive enough to have people come and, and view your main platform, which for me is Twitch. So I'm, I'm starting to learn that now. And that's something that I'm, I'm really excited to actually continue working for. Cause I think I, I think I've got something. I'm not hundred percent sure what it is yet, but I've got something and I'm really, really excited knowing that. And I'm looking forward to seeing what happens over the next 12 months with those types of things. Which leads me into my next question. We're going to go a little farther than 12 months. Um, okay. What would you like your wall of poker accomplishments to be mm. in 15 years? Hmm. This is the glory question. Sure. So it should be right, right, right up your alley. Yeah. I mean, I'm starting to fulfill that, that thing now was where like you can still fuck up and come back. So you can rebound from failure in this game and you can, you can change as well. You know? So I, I, I guess perhaps I just like at the, at, at the end of this career for people to know that there's always hope if you make the right changes, if you learn that self-awareness, if you take responsibility, because I'm a living example of that. I didn't do the same thing. Well, I did the same thing a few times, but I didn't, I, I learned, I eventually figured it out. I got through my thick skull and I changed for the better. And here we are. So you just answered the billboard question, sir. Oh, you you realize you did it. <laughs> there, there's always hope. Yeah. I mean, this is this, this, that's it right there in a nutshell. There is, there is. Um, Final thing, where can the Chasing Poker Greatness audience find you? Sure. On the, on the World Wide Webs. So both YouTube and Twitch, I go by Dramatic DGen. You guys can follow me there. Twitch is my main platform, but I'm doing a lot more YouTube content now. And you can follow me on Twitter at TJ Derek and on Instagram at T Derek. Those are, those are all my main ones. Travis, you're the man. Thank you very much for sharing your story with me. Pleasure. I I'm a fan. <laughs> uh, you'll you'll have at least one human being after this uh, rooting super hard for your, for all the success in the world in the cool. future. And, Appreciate uh, it. Keep it up, and um, yeah, there's always hope. Yeah, and let let's talk again in the next few years. Hundred we'll, uh, percent. We'll see what's changed. Yeah, I really I really enjoyed this, man. Thank you for having me on. And um, you know, I, I was I've been scanning over your channel. I'm going to do some more scanning over it, and I'm I'm excited to see where things go for you as well. So hope, hopefully it's good news for both of us down the line. Yeah, it'll be news. And either, <laughs> either, either way, we'll spin it into good news. Right? Sure. That's what, that's what positive people do. True. So, yeah. Good point. Um, all right. Thank you, man. Yeah, have, thank a, you. have a great rest of your day. Yeah. You too, man. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you haven't yet subscribed to the show, please take a moment to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. And once again, I wanted to let you know about PKC Poker. If you're on the lookout for a new poker platform where the games are safe and secure and the action's amazing, head to EnhanceYourEdge.com slash PKCPod to get your code and jump into the games. You must have a code to play as well as be 21 years of age or older. One final time, that's EnhanceYourEdge.com slash PKCPod. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time on Chasing Poker Greatness.